couple weeks ago, I showed a picture and, and told a story of one of my friends who was uh, working in Thailand and, um, and shared the story of, uh, of up north. There's a, a community there, the, the Shan people, S-H-A-N, the Shan people, and um, showed, showed this picture. We, we prayed for some of the girls in this picture. What the story is, is that uh, within this people group in northern Thailand, uh, not only is this the youth group, but this is also the entire church. Um, the gospel is just, I mean, it's, it's very much a Buddhist culture. And um, so it's, there's just been a lot of resistance to the gospel, except for kind of one people group, and that is with the junior high and the high school age girls. Uh, they have really responded positively to the gospel. A number of them become Christians. They're the only Christians in their community and their home uh, and that kind of thing. Um, the sad part of the story, though, is that uh, almost without exception, all of these girls are destined to work in the brothels in the big city because their families are very much convinced that prostitution is the only way out of poverty. And so this youth group slash church is pretty much all that's where their life is headed because their family is just convinced of that. So I had emailed it to um, Doug, my friend. He's the um, kind of like the, there's the white guy in the back left. Um, he's, uh, and I said, hey, if you ever, like, if, if you figure out some options, you know, let us know or ways that, that we can be involved in a way that we can help. So um, he emailed back. They sent out a newsletter, and they've opened up a couple options. Um, where, and they've talked with parents. They've talked with families where if they can find scholarship for these girls, then the parents are okay then with these with these girls continuing on to get their education and um, so if you are interested in doing something like that uh, come talk to me uh, call up the office we'll get the, in the information uh, just kind of let you know there's there's kind of two projects one is the educational scholarship and so they're looking for sponsors to put 15 girls in school um, so they're looking for uh, they have three elementary students at $24 a month 11 high school students at $88 a month and a vocational student at $120 a month. I think they're looking for two-year commitments, uh, and that provides tuition, uh, lunch, school uniforms, books, school bus, all that other kind of thing. So that's one project. But the other project then is a student dorm project. Um, five of these girls just don't even have a place to go, and so they're trying to create a housing option for them. And so they're actually looking to raise about $35,000 to set up a, a housing option for five of these girls. So. Uh, I pass that on to you if, if you guys are interested or, or if, yeah, talk to me, talk to, uh, give us a call at the office. And please continue to pray for them. It's just a very uh, dark, depressing uh, situation um, for, for everyone involved. Um, and some calendar stuff. We have a lot of stuff coming up on the calendar. And so I don't know if you want to write this down or you like to keep track in your iPhone or you just can remember your entire calendar in your brain like my wife, in which case you're amazing. I have no idea how you do that. Um, but a couple things. Two weeks from now, October 11, we're going to do a baptism membership potluck Sunday. So it'll be over in the in the fellowship hall. We're, we're, I'm going to dunk some people. Uh, some people are going to become members. Uh, we're going to do a potluck together. It's going to be a good time. That's two weeks from now um, on October 11. Um, the catering team has said that they'll provide meat and buns, and they're asking the congregation to bring salads and desserts. Two weeks after that, on October 25th, we are, is kind of final prep, or, or kind of the, the map distribu uh, distribution, for something called Halloween Garage Parties. 
Now, let me just kind of give you a little background on this. So last year at Halloween, uh, Joanne and I just kind of an experiment tried something. We opened up our garage. We cleaned it. Uh, we got it all lit up. We decorated it a little bit. I barbecued these great little chicken bacon things that are awesome. Uh, we had like hot chocolate and chai and then, of course, you know, candy for the kitties and that kind of thing. And um, it was just a lot of fun. Like we just we had a blast with that. And uh, so we thought well, we should do that again next year. Well, a couple months ago, actually, I'm chatting with the other pastors in town. We get together for lunch once a month. And I said, hey, just as an FYI, uh, my wife and I did this garage party thing last year. I'm planning to invite our church. Uh, that'd be you guys. I'm planning to invite our church to do this with me again next year as well. And immediately Bethesda and FEBC hopped on it and said, that is a great idea. Can we do it with you? Well, all right. That sounds great. So here's what the game plan is, is that we are asking people who live in Henderson, we're going to look for volunteers, I don't know, half a dozen, dozen, whoever wants to, people who live in Henderson, if they would be willing to open up their garage and, and host one of these, these parties. Then we're going to ask everyone else to, to, uh, to, to sign on with one of these families and help out. So ideally we would have two, three, four different families all helping to host one of these garage parties. Then what we're going to do, because all three churches are participating in this, is that we're actually going to put together a map that will have all the garage parties all across Henderson. We'll distribute this map in the high school and in the grocery store and that kind of thing. And, um, and then there will, we're, we'll probably even do some little thing like, you know, the kids, you know, you collect all five stickers from enough garage parties yada yada bring it to church on sunday and we'll give you more candy or an apple or a gift certificate to the dentist or whatever something like that right so anyways all that to say because uh, halloween is i mean it's on the 31st that falls on a saturday this year um all of our kind of final prep map distribution all of that needs to be done by october 25th so um, I will talk about this again next week. I think next week I'll actually hand out a clipboard saying, hey, if you live in Henderson, if you're interested in hosting one of these, uh, sign up. And then the following week, I'm just going to put those names like on the screen or in your bulletin. And for those of you who aren't hosting but you want to be involved, you just, you just start calling names on that list until you find someone that wants your help. And um, hopefully you'll find someone eventually who wants your help. So. Okay, so that's October 25th. Then, two weeks after that, on November 8th, we have the Harvest Missions Festival. Uh, Ricky Sanchez, um, he is uh, with MB Mission. Uh, he, is, he and his family have been living in Thailand for the last 15 years. This year they're living in Hillsborough just for a year before they head back. Uh, Ricky is a very dynamic speaker. He will attempt very strongly to recruit all of you to go serve in Thailand for the rest of your life. Just heads up, that's coming. Um, but... Um, yeah, powerful speaker, neat guy, and um, of course we'll have more details on that. So that's November 8th, Harvest Missions Festival. Two weeks after that, on November 22nd, we are decorating for Christmas, because suddenly Christmas is here. And uh, so we'll do a kind of an evening party thing again. And, hmm? Oh, no, November. November 22nd. <laughs> I don't know if I said October or November. Uh, November 22nd, and then the week after that, November 29, is Advent, the first Advent Sunday. So, there you go. Did you get all that? Okay. 
let, let's pray, and uh, we'll sing, and if you have questions, you can ask me later. Heavenly Father, thank you for a good morning. Lord, thank you for your word, for your scripture. Lord, thank you for the gems and the truth that, that you have embedded in scripture, Lord. And, and uh, some of it's right on the surface, and some of it needs a little bit of mining, Lord. But your word is so rich uh, with so much good truth. God, thank you for this great community, this great congregation, this church, Lord. Thank you for the opportunities we have to do fun things together as a community, to, uh, to connect with others in our community. And um, we just we thank you and we praise you for that. Lord, may this morning be honoring and glorifying to you. And, Lord, we just say that, that we want to open ourselves up to you and that you can have your way with us, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and turn together to page 163. I will sing of my Redeemer.
changes that we just discouraged you with. May we be found faithful in our service to you at all times. We thank you above all for the gift of Jesus Christ, your son, that you sent him into this world to bear the burdens and the sins of all of us and that he went to the cross and bore these burdens willingly. And we just thank you for the great gift of salvation, which is ours because of Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you again for the opportunity of gathering here as your children. May we truly worship you and praise you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we come before you with gratitude and thanks and appreciation for who you are, God. Lord, it is our privilege and our delight and our honor to serve you, to love you, to be in close relationship with you. Lord, whatever burdens or distractions that we may have arrived with, God, whatever pain joy, sorrow, whatever it is that's on our heart and our mind. Lord, we lay that at your feet. We, we ask you to step into that, Lord. Holy Spirit, is there a way that we have grieved you? If so, we ask that you would show us we want to live in right relationship with you. 
Lord, we pray for the, the missionaries this morning. We pray for Jen. We give thanks for the new students who will be involved with Campus Crusade. Lord, we pray for the Millers. Uh, we thank you for the, the good outreach uh, uh, time, the good outreach program that they recently had. Pray for the Queerings uh, and their um, just their facility needs, their relationship with, with their current place where they uh, rent the facility, Lord. Pray for the Ragas and their children as they adjust to a new school. Lord, we pray for us as a congregation um, that we would live lives that honor and glorify you, that you would teach us what it means to pursue people in Henderson and in the surrounding communities.
not sure I know many people who could have surgery and then like two days later stand up on stage and sing in front of a bunch of people. Um, good to see. <laughs> but I guess you can go home whenever you want. That's the plus side. Hopefully that's not setting an unhealthy precedence where uh, you have surgery and then it's back on stage. Uh, one of the um, gifts of my job that I, that I do appreciate is that I get to study scripture. That I mean, not only is it required of me, but it's just that's part of my job. That on a regular basis, I get to study scripture. And, uh, and it's neat. I mean... There, there are gems on the surface that are pretty easy to pick out, uh, and then there are some that are buried. They're, it's a little bit hidden, but you, you, it's remarkable when you find it. Um, the, the passage that we're going to look over today, I was actually thinking about skipping. I thought children, parents, you know, it says bond servants, masters. I was like, yeah, obey, be good. There's not a lot of content in there. Let's just skip it, and we'll move on to the, the spiritual authority stuff. And um, so because John always asks me, you know, what's the topic? What's this? What's the theme? And I thought, I think we're going to skip it and just go to spiritual authority. But I thought, well, I should look into it just in case, you know, there there's something in there that I'm not seeing. And uh, I love it like it. I we're going over it. Um, There's just some neat stuff in there that I am excited to, to share with you guys. Um, not a whole lot. We might actually be done a little bit early today, which would probably be a nice change for you, I, I imagine. But, um, but yeah, just some really good stuff that, that I'm excited to, to go over with you. So, uh, we are in the very last part of, um, actually, in, in, we're in the first part of chapter 6. And as we've been walking through this with you know, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, what does it mean to be seated in Christ, looking at our identity? Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, what does it mean to walk in the world? Uh, so how do we practically live this out? And then the last part of Ephesians 6, uh, what does it mean to stand against the enemy? So some spiritual warfare stuff. And so today we wrap up the walk section, and next week we're going to get into the stand section. So please read along with me. I'm in chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Children. Pay attention. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Now remember uh, on the context of this, that actually, um, if you back up a little bit, looking back in verse 18, the, the key verb there was, because we talked about grammar, the key word is, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? 
And so Paul talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he gives four or five, kind of, on how you count it, he gives four or five examples of that in the following verses. He says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So how we talk to one another. He talks about singing and making music. Some count that as one, some as two. But singing and making music, um, uh, or I'm sorry, making melody to the Lord in your heart. So that's just kind of that internal worshipful attitude. Then he mentions giving thanks always and for everything to God. So just a very uh, appreciative um, attitude and demeanor. And then fourth, then he names submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then under that submitting to one another, then he proceeds to give all of these examples. So actually all of this can be traced back to what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And then these are, these are some of the examples. And so, um, uh, so in verse 1, um, he, he mentions children. And the, I, had there, I had no idea the impact or the significance of, that Paul said children. Like there is actually a lot of content in Paul saying children. Remember that this was not some mass email that got sent out and everyone kind of read it on their phones or like they read the post on Facebook or that kind of thing. This was a single manuscript that was written out and then it was delivered and then it was read in front of the entire group. And Paul directly addresses children. He doesn't say go home and tell your children this, this, and this. He says children. Paul is directly expecting children to be present in the gathering, in the congregation with everything else, with everyone else. Remember that, that, that back in the day, how they did church was in the synagogue, and it was very, very segregated. You had the Jewish men. They were kind of like, or sort of, I guess, maybe even approved Jewish men. They were the inner circles. Then I think you had Jewish women. Gentiles, I think, were outside the building. I have no idea where the kids were, probably like in the back alley running around, getting who knows what they were doing. But it's very segregated. It's very compartmentalized. Uh, You know, children, especially below the age of, I think, 12, in the synagogue? No. But here he says children. He's expecting them to be a part of the community, a part of the congregation with everyone else. But secondly, he says children, not boys. Remember that, that back then it was actually unlikely for the girls to get educated. Normally they were just taught kind of like household duties, household chores, and then the guys got some education, and kind of depending on how smart they were, depending on whether or not they get more. He's addressing both boys and girls. And girls were not as valued in ancient society. And so this is a remarkable affirmation that both boys and girls are to be treated well, are to receive education, and to be part of the worship experience along with everyone else. Folks, if you look around the world, any place that has a lot of Bible or has had history with a lot of Bible, you will find freedom and good treatment of women. You go to places with little Bible, and you will see low freedom and oftentimes oppression of women and children. When U.S. soldiers went into Afghanistan and started to liberate the place from the Taliban, One of the things that they saw an increase of was kites. When the Taliban were pushed out, suddenly there were kites all over the place. Because the Taliban forbid children from having toys. 
And so when they were pushed out, the kids could have toys again, and one of the favorite toys of the region was kites. So in the cities, soldiers started to see kites all over the place. Cultures with a lot of Bible have a lot of freedom. No Bible, you'll often see no freedom, low respect for women, and low respect for children. So it's remarkable that Paul expected young boys and young girls to be present at these gatherings, learning about Jesus alongside everyone else. Paul then instructs the children. He says, obey, and then he quotes this command, which begins with the word honor. Um, uh, so the tr- with the children, we're really dealing with two words. Obey is pretty direct. It's a very strong command, and it really deals heavily with actions. Right? Obey really isn't interested in your attitude. Obey is interested in your actions. I say it, you do it. I don't care if you have a good attitude. I just want it done. Right? That's obey. Honor is different. Honor deals a lot more with attitude, with mentality. I mean, it incorporates obedience. But it, 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 it emphasizes attitude. And it's, it's at the heart of how you view someone. And while I do believe that, that children should honor their parents um, just because they are their parents, it was interesting to see that I, I now believe that one of the other reasons children are to honor is because that's actually a necessary life skill for all Christians. This is something all of us need to be good at as adults. Scripture calls, calls us to honor God, honor those in positions of earthly authority, honor masters or employers, honor parents, honor Jesus Christ, honor fellow believers, and even honor widows. Honoring is something that all of us need to be good at as adults. The root word for honor uh, literally means heavy or weighty. Uh, The figurative meaning is to give weight to someone. Uh, It's like saying that you grant them respect. You listen to what they say. You seriously consider it. You're attentive to their thoughts, their ideas. Uh, You speak respectfully of them. You don't slander them or gossip them. Uh, The Greek word for honor is also translated as good, praise, glorify, precious, valued, lord, uh, splendid, glorious, exalt, magnify, price, value. I don't believe that we're called just to honor our parents um, because they deserve it. I believe that we're called to honor our parents because God values it. If, if deserve is the criteria for who gets honor, then a lot of people aren't going to get honor. Because <laughs> you can easily find a lot of people who don't deserve it. This isn't about who deserves honor. This is, is it glorifying to God to give them honor regardless of whether or not I think they've earned it? This is something that God values, and because of that, it needs to be something that we value. Honoring others is something all of us need to be good at. And like most life skills, it is best learned in youth. So kids, obey and honor your parents. And get used to it, because you got a lifetime of it. Um, last thought, there... Sometimes there's been some wondering uh, when we're talking about kids and parents. Is this something that just applies to the home, or is this something that um, applies throughout all of life? I mean, honoring, I would say, is something that applies throughout all of life. What do we do with obey? That kind of thing. 
Uh, technically, the word can mean both um, child or adult. However, the context really seems to suggest while we're in the home because of later commands that speak about nurturing and that kind of thing. So um, I do believe that the, the honoring is, is important for all of life, but uh, the heart-specific command that, that we're talking about really deals with in the home. Parents, more specifically fathers, verse 4, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, the word for fathers can be translated as parent. It can go both ways. Uh, so what Paul says really applies to both father and mother. But I believe it needs to be heard by the fathers first. Um, I think first and foremost, it's the dads that need to hear this. Um, they're the ones where we really need to let this sink in. Paul mentions uh, discipline, instruction. Some translations have it as training and nurture. But it involves training in righteousness. It involves advice. It involves encouragement. It involves correction if needed. The role of teaching your kids about Jesus and faith and life and scripture and honor and respect, dads, is first and foremost your responsibility. This is not something that you are to subcontract out to a school or an organization or a camp or a church or something like that. First and foremost, dads, this is your responsibility to teach these and bestow these things to your kids. And dads are huge, huge in understanding how we understand God. Um, in the book Resolution for Men, Kendrick and Alcorn write, if you want to get the core, at the core of who people really are, get them to start talking about their dad. I mean, how many of you have met someone who has a really hard time understanding a good and gracious God because their dad was a jerk? Almost without fail, you tell me about your father and I will be able to parrot back to you how you view God. Almost every time, without fail. There's a one-for-one one comparison there. Dads, you are not just to raise these kids. You are there to model for them who God is and how God feels about them. And if you don't know God, you can't do that. And if you don't know the character of God, you don't know that. And if you don't know his word, you can't do that. Your children, and especially your daughters, will calibrate their worth based on how they think dad views them. The statistics say that girls with strong dads are much more likely to feel secure, much less likely to have eating disorders, identity issues, or become sexually active in their teen years. Dads, it is your responsibility to know that your kids know Jesus, that they know his truth, that they know scripture, and that they know how to handle this difficult, broken world. You will need help. You will need a helpmate. But it's on you, and you don't get to subcontract this out to another group. Bond servants. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, 
knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. We see the word, uh, in ESV uses the word bondservants. In some translations you might uh, see the word slaves. These are not slaves as you and I picture them if you're using U.S. history as your reference point. All right? Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, condemns slave trading as one of the worst sins possible, which is what we see in U.S. history. Okay? These were uh, domestic slaves. These were household servants. Uh, they had fairly normal lives. Uh, they could marry. They could have kids. Oftentimes, these people would sell themselves into this kind of work uh, for a season to get ahead of life. They could be well-educated. They held responsible positions in the household. Now, Rome did have other slaves who are of uh, even lower class, slaves who were property. This is not who we're talking about here. Uh, Like I said, the modern equivalent would probably be uh, the employer-employee relationship. That's where this, this really fits well. But this is a remarkable passage, and I actually kind of enjoyed uh, studying, studying this one. Uh, so Paul is talking to the bond, the, the bond servants, and in essence he says, you know, you need to do your work hard and do a good job, but not just so that your earthly master will see you and appreciate your work, but also because God is watching, and when you do quality work and it honors him, and when you have this good attitude of this is unto the Lord— then he will see that and he will reward you for it, for your hard work here. Now think of the roles these people had. I mean, every job around the house that you hate, they did. Dishes, pulling weeds, hated pulling weeds, horrible. Just spray them with Tempur. Pulling weed, I don't, what, fixing the shed or the garage door opener. I mean, whatever it was. Cleaning stuff up, doing laundry by hand. I don't, all of, all of these kind of menial tasks that they were responsible for doing, Paul is telling them, if your head is in the right place, that becomes spiritual work and God will reward you for it. If my mind is right, I can mop floors for 40 years and get a big fat reward in heaven for doing it. But if my mind isn't right, I could stand in this pulpit for 40 years and not get jacked because I was just this. It was just all for me and I'm just living for myself. This is a remarkable passage that and a remarkable concept that, that Paul is, is sharing here. You know, sometimes you find that job or that role that you love and you just, it's easy to throw your heart into it and be grateful to God for it. And if that's your story, great. Other times, ugh, you just don't even want to go to bed at night because then it means you have to go back to work in the morning. So it's let's stay up late and just put off morning. Whatever your circumstances, well, one, maybe you need to get a new job. We do have that freedom, people. But but whatever your circumstances, do your work well and do it unto the Lord, and he will reward you for it. I want to talk about the words fear and trembling. Those are words that we could easily misinterpret 
uh, in, in our reading and in, in our kind of setting or context. The words fear and trembling are not to be confused with kind of this craven servility, but, but they really represent a keen sense of one's shortcomings with a consequent anxiety not to fall into any mistake. Basically, this is kind of your overachiever attitude, all right? Um, that, that's what we're, if I were to put this in contemporary language, I would say have an overachiever attitude. Uh, in some parts of Canada, they call them keeners. Um, uh, so I think that's what we're talking about here. Uh, Paul uses a lot of adjectives to describe what our attitude should or should not be. Like he says, the fear, the trembling, the people pleaser, the sincerity. But I think the key phrase in all this that, that clarifies all of their adjectives is this phrase, as you would Christ. If Christ asked you to do this thing and Christ was your direct employer, how would you work? That level of respect, that level of honor, that level of diligence, that level of enthusiasm, that is what you are supposed to bring to your task. If we work unto man, if our attitude is that we work for man, then our only reward will be from man. But if our attitude is that this work is unto the Lord, then God has honored that and he will reward us for that. Last group, employers. Verse 9, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. This command is very direct, it's very short, and I think it's very strong. Um, so he says, um, do the same to them. I think what he's saying is that in how they handle their employees, they're supposed to do the same thing in, in that they're supposed to have this unto the Lord mentality. As you manage your employees, do it unto the Lord. How would he do it? If they're willing to do that, then God will reward them for that. But then he throws in a pretty strong warning. He says, stop your threatening and know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. There is someone much bigger than you. He is in heaven. He is looking over your shoulder, and he does not do favors. There's no partiality. He doesn't favor one group or the other. He will judge you just as harsh as he will judge anyone else. When we stand before God, it will be on equal footing. I actually find the command to employer and employee quite similar. To keep this heavenly perspective, whatever it is that you're doing, do it unto the Lord. And he will recognize the attitude and reward your labor. And to think I almost skipped it, eh? I thought it would be boring, and instead I was like, wow, so good. Oh, I got to tell him this. Scripture is powerful, and it's full of gems. And some are on the surface, and some you got a mind for, but they're there. Children, obey, learn to honor, because honoring is something that we are called to do for the rest of our lives. We don't honor our parents because they deserve it. We honor them because that kind of attitude pleases God. Fathers, parents, it is on you to teach your kids. Their view of God will be shaped by how you treat them and how you raise them. And that is a huge task. But it is one that is given to you. Don't try to contract that out. Employees, no matter what the task, if your attitude is you're going to do this unto Christ. Then it becomes spiritual work, and God will reward you for it. 
So keep that attitude that says all this is unto Christ. Employers, the same goes for you. Do your work with an attitude that says that this is unto Christ. And don't forget that while you're looking over their shoulder, someone bigger is looking over yours. Amen. 11.15, I think that's a record. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of your word. God, it's by your spirit that scripture is a, is a living thing that speaks to us, Lord. It's your spirit that helps us interpret what it is that you were saying. God, thank you for the powerful truths that were embedded in just a few short verses that at first glance seem so, so normal, almost insignificant, Lord. But in that, there is depth and there is power and there is wisdom. And Lord, even in the commands to children, we find instruction and encouragement for all of us in how we live our lives. We love you, Lord. Amen. Send his son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive, he lived and died to buy my pardon, an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives, because he worth a living just because